My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat if you're here in the auditorium with us. If you're online, um, man, go ahead and get comfortable. So, man, my name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunrise, and it is such a privilege to be here and to speak with you guys um, this morning and just share really about how God is moving and working, as you've already heard through the announcements of just the very cool things that God is doing through Sunrise, but through his church body more than anything. Um, And so I just want to... If you, if you haven't read any articles this week, um, if you've been living um, in a cave, then you probably wouldn't realize it was a year ago that the whole world shut down. Um, and so it, it, it kind of brought back some memories for me in the sense of I sat there and it was literally a year ago tomorrow that we had our first service live streamed online, not knowing a thing of what we were doing. And uh, we, we just took this chance and said, hey, let's, let's do this um, because there's no other way to get the gospel message out right now in what was declared safe at the time. And so we, we ended up canceling services for what was supposed to be two weeks. <laughs> and uh, now here we are, right? <laughs> and it has been such a difficult year, though. It has been such a challenging year. Like, it's been a year of so much heartache, so much pain. Like, I I think about this last year and just think about all the losses we've experienced. Many of us have lost friends this past year over maybe small issues, maybe big issues. I think jobs have been lost this year. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online, our jobs have changed. Our role has changed. We have, we have lost our job altogether of what we've been maybe doing for many years. I think about the opportunities that were lost. I was the youth pastor when this happened, and I think about all the high school seniors and, high school gra- and college graduates that lost out on a, a moment to be honored and celebrated for the commitment and the follow-through um, that, they, that they did. You know, I think about weddings that didn't happen, the special moments that were taken away that had to be adapted in this past year. And at some moments along the way, I think we could all say it felt like the future was kind of lost. We weren't sure what was going to happen. It was like, okay. And so when we experience moments of loss this last year, it kind of makes us want to ask this question or maybe many questions along this line of saying, is God still good? 
You know, is God, is God still in control of everything going on? Can I, can I count on him? Is he going to show up? Why is God allowing this to happen? And I don't have all the answers for those this morning. I don't, that's another sermon for another day. But what I want to do this morning is I want to start by reading a passage of scripture from the message translation. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes wherever you're at. If you're online, close your eyes in the room. If you're here, um, keep an eye on your kids, though. Don't let them wander too far. Um, but I just want to read this for you. So just close your eyes and just, and just listen. It says this in Matthew 6. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers most of which are never even seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You can open your eyes. I just want to remind you this morning that God cares about every detail. Every detail. Especially about what you're going through right now. Things you're experiencing in this very moment God cares about. It it can be hard to feel that or see that sometimes because it's like, I can't feel or touch God or understand. It's Where are you in moments like this past year? But God cares. He cares about those details. And not only does he care, he wants to provide in the midst of it. He wants to provide for us. He wants to show up and reveal himself through his provision. And so today we'll go into this reading of the 5,000 people being fed by Jesus, seeing that he is the, the provider. But most importantly... I think what we'll see is ways that we misinterpret God to be the provider. Misinterpret ways that Jesus becomes the provider. I think we become a lot like the crowd sometimes, especially in difficult seasons, because we want God to meet our needs right where we're at. And God is interested in so much more. So let's let's enter into the text. So if we go into this today, we're going to say, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And last week we talked about, uh, Pastor Shane talked about uh, John 5 and the healing of a lame man. And he focused on these ideas of identity and influence. And where we get ours and how do we wrestle with that. And today we see in this passage that Jesus has a crowd following him because he's got influence, right? But we learned last week that Jesus isn't enamored with the crowd. He's not enamored with it. He's not trying to get the crowd's approval. He's not trying to get anyone's approval. He's here on a mission and he's trying to seek time alone with his disciples 
but yet the crowd wants to be around him. So as we continue on with the story, it says, Jesus climbed up a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Now, what you need to understand about the Jewish Passover celebration is this very, to, to talk about the Passover is to talk about like the 4th of July in the United States. See, the Passover was when they were freed from Egypt. Their, their slavery, their bondage became their own nation in a sense. And so you can see how that parallels with us in the 4th of July, how we celebrate our independence. So the feeling on the scene is very nationalistic, very driven by that with the Passover um, on, the, on the eve of Passover, basically. So I want to point out three ways that we need to look at the story and to read it through. And the first one, as I kind of already hit on, is the original Passover meal. And so the original Passover happened um, back, in, back in Egypt when the Israelites were slaves for many, many years. And God uses a man named Moses and he shows up on the scene and he helps deliver the Israelites from slavery. And how he does this specifically is in this final act of a miracle in which he tells the Israelites to say, Hey, I want you to kill a one-year-old male lamb and I want you to eat it for the Passover meal. But I want you to take the blood of it and I want you to paint it on your doorpost. And that night, God goes over the the city and he kills all the firstborns in every household, but he passes over the ones where the blood is on the doorposts of the lamb. And so that's our original Passover. That's what they're celebrating. That's what the eve, that's where this event is taking place. They celebrate this every year. And then the other thing we need to take into account is the manna in the desert. So after they leave Israel, all of a sudden they're in the desert for what is 40 years And they need to eat. And so they start complaining, right, to God. And they're like, God, why did you bring us all the way out to the desert to die? I mean, it would have been better just to be slaves in Egypt. And so they're thinking about how great these days are in the past. And what God does is he provides for them in the form of manna, which is a bread-like substance, every day. And And he tells Moses to tell them, say, hey, have them go out every day and grab as much manna as they need, but no more. Because if they grab more than they need, it'll spoil the next day. I want them to realize that I'm their provider every day. And then the last thing we need to look at this story through is the lens of the Messianic prophecy by Moses. It's found all the way back in Numbers. And essentially, all you need to think know about here is that Moses, this great leader who was in the first two events we've talked about, also prophesied that a great leader like himself would come. And so the Jewish people are anticipating a Messiah that is much like Moses. That's what they're looking for. And so Moses is very idolized by the Jewish culture because they're anticipating someone that's to come like him. So let's kind of get into the story now that I've set the table for how we want to read this. So it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, I want, we're going to find out here in the story that it was 5,000 men, it says. So it's roughly about 20,000 people. And so I just, want to, I just want to put an image up for you so you can kind of see the size of crowd we're working with here. We're dealing with the Moda Center, all right, formerly known as the Rose Quarter. I thought that was a better name. Um, but 
sponsoring issues. So this is where we're at now is we have the Moda Center. And if you've been to a Blazers game or you've been to maybe another event hosted at the Moda Center, you can look around. You ever been with your, your back? Your back is against like the cement wall behind you because you're so far up there in the nosebleed section. It's like this place is packed. It's filled. Its capacity is 20,500. This is the size of the crowd showing up on the scene, right? Like roughly. So this isn't just like, oh, man, there's 100 people showing up. It's like, no, this is massive as this crowd from the distance is coming on. And Jesus turns the fill up and goes, hey, where can we get some food to feed these people? And Philip's from the area, so it's actually like, it's a logical question. Because if there's anyone who might know, it is Philip. Like, he is from this area. But Philip doesn't even wrestle with the logistical idea. He goes straight to the, like, Dude, we don't have enough money to buy for these people. Like we, we don't have enough. Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. It would be eight months of a salary to feed all the people showing up. Like That's what, that's what we have going on here. So then the, the scene shifts over to our friend Andrew here. It says, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Let's go back to that picture because I don't think this is set in enough. Five barley loaves, two fish. Like, that's the crowd we're dealing with. That's the crowd. I mean, but what good is that? I think we can resonate with those words if we're in this moment. But yet we're about to see Jesus step out on the blazer's symbol at half court and perform the fourth sign that's in John's gospel. Like, that's what we're about to see. So I just want us to take this in. I want us to remember this and picture this moment. And so here we go. If we read about the sign, this is what it says next. It says, tell everyone to sit down, Jesus says. So they all sat down on grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Let's keep reading. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Man, when it comes to Jesus, there's an abundance, right? Remember there, remember back in the desert, it's like they can only get enough food for each day. And here there's leftovers. Like, man, Jesus is starting to show us something here. And so now let's read the last part of the story. It says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away in the hills by himself. Here they are, this, this great leader shows up on the scene, and that's, they, they want to force Jesus into kingship. And I want to just stop on this slide for a little bit here, and I just want to talk about something that I think is really important. That Jesus escapes the crowd to be with the Father. That's what he does. He performs this great miracle and then he slips away to go be with the Father. There is so much noise today. There's so so many crowds today. There's all kinds of things. And Jesus is trying to show us something that's so important in the midst of the chaos in our lives and and our busy schedules and the worries of what's going on after this. He's saying, hey, this is so important to spend time with me. It's so important to come and be alone with me and to pray to me and to, and to just talk to me and to tell me what's going on in your life. 
And what I, what I love about God is I believe that sometimes when we don't take that time, he'll pull us away to create that time because he knows what we really need. He knows what we really need. And so I just want to remind you today that we could, we could skip right over this and continue talking about the miracle and the discourse because that's what we love to do. But yet there's such an important piece in here that he's saying, hey, come and be with me. I know what you really need. And so I just want to make sure I invite you into that today because that may be the only thing you need to hear from me this morning is that God wants to spend time with you uninterrupted, no agenda, no nothing, and just speak to your soul. But the other thing I want to draw out about this verse is their misconception of who Jesus is. Like they, they, they misinterpret who Jesus is. They wanted Jesus to be their king. And so what he does, they're like, Jesus, we want you to be the king because we know if, if you can perform these miracles, you can rally the troops. You can rally the nation and we can go and overthrow Rome because they're being oppressed right now. And so they wanted Jesus to serve their political agenda. They wanted freedom. Who wouldn't? They weren't, they weren't living by their own rules. They were controlled by Rome at this time. And so they see Jesus come on the scene like, if he can feed that entire crowd, then he can rally everyone and we can go and take over Rome. Like we can, we can take our country back. Remember, this is on the, the eve of Passover. The feelings are very nationalistic at this time. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, especially in a time such as this, where everything is so politically driven and the tensions are tight in the atmosphere, um, like, in what ways have we made Jesus a political figure? I think we have to ask ourselves that. I, I, and I'm not here to, I'm not trying to be political. I don't even care about it. But we have to ask ourselves because this is where the scripture leads us. Because they wanted to force Jesus to be their king. And I think we're in a season where we feel like our rights and our values are being suppressed or stepped on by our government. And, and we're going, man... It feels like a loss going on. And I'm not here to say that you're wrong or right in that thinking. That's not what I'm here to say. But I'm, I'm here to say that in the moment where Jesus was thrusted into this political position, he actually said, I don't want this. I want to be with the Father. Like the moment he has the chance to be, like they're going to thrust him up and he, he could be the, the king. He could rally the nation. And that's what they want. And Jesus goes, I'm not interested in that. And he escapes. I think that's an important lesson for us to know, especially in this season where it feels like, man, it feels maybe like we're losing some ground in some areas that Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to be the king of the United States of America. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to usher in my heavenly kingdom. I'm the king of heaven. And that's the kingdom I want to usher in. This world is going to end. My kingdom will come, and that is where I will reign. And you are called to be a part of this kingdom. And I think there's something in there for us to realize in the, in the value of that, that, man, when things get political, Jesus runs to be with the Father because he's interested in his kingdom, not this world. And so as we keep reading in the story, we're going to go to the next day. 
And then the next day, this crowd is still pursuing him after he left to be alone. And it says, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. I think this is a, this is a good one for all of us because it's like, when Jesus shows up and feeds us or, or does something like that, like we want to be around Jesus because he will provide for our essential needs, right? Like we, we want that. They show up, they're hungry, they have a need. Jesus meets them right where they're at. And so we, I think we have to ask ourselves, like in what ways does Jesus sustain our essential needs? Like, in what ways do we look at that? They wanted Jesus to sustain their essential needs. And so here we have another misinterpretation of how they expected Jesus to come in, how, why they're following Jesus. And we, we have the same things. Because I think a lot of times we were like, okay, God, I need a job. I need a job. Provide my job. I need it. God cares about our job. I'm not saying he doesn't. But oftentimes we associate the provision of a job with following Jesus. Some of us need healing in our bodies. Some of us need to experience that healing. And we're going, God, I need you to show up. I need you to heal. I need you to do this. Maybe you need a car. You need a place to live. Maybe you're pursuing Jesus because you got problems and you want him to eliminate all those problems. Right? And so I think sometimes we just believe that following Jesus and living a good life is supposed to make things easier for us. And for them, if they followed Jesus who could feed them every day, it's like they wouldn't have any needs, right? Jesus could make them all go away for the crowd. And so just as, they, as they're pursuing him for their essential needs, we have to ask ourselves, why are we pursuing Jesus? And we think essential needs are good. Like they, they, I'm not saying they're bad things. But if Jesus is a means to an end, then we probably have missed the point. And then let's go to the next verse here to see kind of our last point. It says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, all you have to do is believe. Yet the crowd still misinterprets it and gets focused on this idea of works. Like what, you know, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. We want to do that. They want to earn their salvation. They want to be a part of, the, of, of achieving something to gain, gain their salvation, which brings us to our third point here. They wanted Jesus to be something they could earn. They wanted their works to count. And which one of us hasn't gone to Jesus and gone like, I, I know it's a free gift, God, that I just have to believe. But the truth is I feel so much better when I'm a good person or I've done something that, that would make you like me. That would make you draw close to me. That would make me sufficient in your eyes. And I, I believe we all do those same things with Jesus. And so we, we live lives where we stay in between the lines. We try to treat everyone equal and nice. We live with the notion that good people go to heaven. We try to earn our salvation. But the truth is all God wants from us 
is a simple idea to believe in Jesus. That's it. Eugene Peterson said it best earlier when I read that scripture to you that we get so focused on getting that we forget to focus on God's giving. Like that's what we forget. We forget that in these moments. And so as we continue the text, I just want to read this last piece for you here. He said, the answer, they showed up, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. <laughs> Wait, didn't he just do that? What can you do? After all, your, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're going to Jesus and say, our ancestors traveled through the desert for 40 years and were fed every day. You fed us once. Moses is looking a lot better right now if we're playing the comparison game. You shut up and did one trick. Do it again and we'll believe. What do you have to say for yourself? And Jesus goes, let, let me correct your theology for you. I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus makes his statement very clear in this next verse. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty That's what he says to us. He says this to the crowd. I want to invite the worship team up here. But I, I want to sit here in this for a moment and, and just go, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we look at this in the room and go, what does it mean that God is the bread of life? Because essentially, as we show up on the scene here and we read these words, I am the bread of life, we can go, well, what does that really mean for me today? See, the crowd wanted Jesus to show up and meet their physical needs. They were oppressed. They were broken. They were struggling with insignificance. They were hungry. And Jesus shows up and meets those needs right there in that moment. That's what he does. He meets them right there in that moment. But Jesus goes, I want to meet you at a deeper level. I want to meet you at a spiritual level. I want to meet you at the deep desires of your heart. Because the truth is you will be hungry again. You will be hungry again. And that there's always going to be political issues and rulers of this world. And this world is always going to feel just not right because it's not your home. And so I'm not here to make your life easier. I'm not here to take all the hunger away. But I do have compassion and I will meet you right where you're at. But more than anything, I want to meet you at a deeper spiritual level and sustain you. I am the bread of life. You're like, give me that bread every day. He's like, I am it. Jesus wants us to pursue him every day. Every day in the mix of the noise and the crowd and the kids and everything. He wants us to come to him. I want to read this last discourse to you here that Jesus says with them at the end. He says, I am 
the true bread that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will not die, as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. You know, Jesus sits there on his, on his last night of life with his, with his disciples at a Passover meal. They're celebrating the Passover. They're celebrating this moment of where they were delivered from slavery. They're remembering this moment. And Jesus looks to his disciples and says, now you're going to remember this moment when I delivered you from your sin. And this is how I'm going to do it. My body represents this bread. And my blood represents this juice. And when you take this, you're going to remember the sacrifice it cost for me to win you back to God. And so I want to read what he said to his disciples here. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat this for this is my body. So let's eat the bread together. And then let's read this last passage here. It says, and he took the cup and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So let's take the cup. Give us this bread every day, God, right? Give us this bread every day. Give us this bread every day. When we take this, we remember that God is always in control. That God is our provider. That God shows up just on time. His timing is never behind. He's he's never out of sync. He, He knows what we need. And so he has compassion and he meets us there. But bigger than that, bigger than that, he knows what we need spiritually. And it's to be cleansed from our sins, from our brokenness, to be fully healed and to made in his image. And there's a lot of things that can distract us from that. As you can see with the crowd, don't lose sight of that in this season. Don't lose sight of that right here now. That's what God is calling us to. So I'm gonna invite you from wherever you're at to stand on your feet, to whatever it means to worship God in this next go um, and just worship him out of here as your provider, as the one who wants to meet you right in this moment. That when we, we take this to remember that, and this is our moment to praise him, to know that he meets us at our deepest level at a soul level. And so I'm gonna encourage you to worship and worship him with everything you have, knowing that he loves you. He cares about everything you're going through. So let's do it together.